Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well I'm delighted to welcome back Kemi Egan who's going to share her story with us again today and I say again because um, Kemi joined us back in uh, December 2016. Uh, If I get my act together I'll provide a link to that in the show notes but the 7th of December uh, 2016 is when Kemi first appeared on the on the program, which was part of our property financing series back then. So she was talking specifically about creative property strategies at that point in time. But she's come back today, and uh, we've been in touch quite a lot over the years. Um, we're looking to do some things together as well. And um, Kemi actually talks quite a lot about relationships, as you're going to hear in her share right now, but I'm not going to spoil it. Perhaps I'll come back at the end and do a very brief wrap up, but let's introduce you to the conversation I had with Kemi right now. Kemi, hi, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Really good to see you. And uh, thanks so much for joining uh, me, obviously, and obviously sharing your story with uh, the Property Voice community once again. Um, It's not the first time, obviously, but um, I think, you know, I'm really looking forward to understanding quite a lot about you and your story and um, the inspiration hopefully that's going to give us also thanks for joining us today appreciate that oh no worries thank you for having me it's always great to talk to you and hopefully we'll have a really good conversation and maybe some cool stuff will will come out of it for i'm sure it will always seems to when we get together so um what i'm tending to do at this point is really just talk about um my guests and their story um kind of beginning to end um, and so what would be really great is just to get a sort of a picture of, of your life before property. Um, would you mind just taking us there so we can sort of get a snapshot of what, what your life looked like and who you were and what you were doing just before, you know, you're getting involved in property. Is that okay? Yeah, for sure. So I got to property quite early, actually, um, but not without, you know, some some errors along the way. So I initially went out to be a physio. That was my big goal. I came. I come from a family that doesn't have, you know, wealth or, or financial backing. My mum was a single parent. Um, it, it wasn't the easiest upbringing. It's just, you know, it's pretty tough. But as we like to say, right, education is the solution to everything. So the big goal, the big driver, was always to go and get to university and do that. So that's what I did, and I was incredibly proud of myself. Um, did my undergrad and that was fantastic but it wasn't enough I had to be something else because you know, the more you study and then the next level surely you know more money comes or more this comes or more that comes and that was before at the time I knew that that wasn't necessarily the case and traditional education has its lacking so I did my undergrad did my master's degree and I went on and opened a private practice and the reason that I'd opened a private practice this is a, a recurring theme through my career is that yeah I mean the NHS is, is just incredible it's I will defend it to the the ends of the earth but in many ways it has limitations and a lot of those limitations are the ability to actually treat some people and get in there and help some people because the financial constraints and everything else that goes along with it 
yeah, the waiting lists are enormous. And then, you know, there are some guidelines about how you, you interact with people. And the point is that you're not supposed to make people feel dependent on you to solve their problems. You're supposed to help them solve it themselves, which is fine. But if I knew that I could just get my hands in there and I could fix a problem, why wouldn't I? So I opened this private practice because I knew that if it was my business, I'd have some more control and I could, you know, treat some people without charging them. I could work with this, that and the other and I could give back in lots of different ways. And that's what I really wanted to do. Um, some of that comes from being younger and really sporty. I got hurt quite a lot, but my mum couldn't afford to have us to have me seen by anyone. So I spent quite a lot of my youth in, you know, very much of pain and and I was limited in some of the things that I was able to do and able to aspire to because I just didn't have the support and the resources and I didn't want that. I wanted, and I still want, people that want something to be able to get it. So I opened this private practice and it was really great to be honest. And I honestly, I didn't know what I was doing, kind of just opened the door one day and, and on we went. Um, but I built up a business and I, you know, made some mistakes and I learned as I went along. And then we were approached by an insurance company. So, you know, if you have a car crash and stuff anyway, mm-hmm. um, you, you get referred to get treatment. Okay. In this case, we've been seeing a lot of people and people have some really great results in our business. And they came to us and said, look, we want to send a huge amount of, of traffic, a huge amount of people to you. Um, is that okay? You know? Can you send me a load of business? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, and then it was a bit later down the process. They said, but, you know, here's the thing. The payment terms are going to be 90 days from the end of the treatment plan. Okay. Now, on, in average, a treatment, treatment plan. plan. hmm okay. So treatment plan, the end of the treatment plan. So a treatment plan is usually six or seven weeks. So okay. you treat them for six or seven weeks. Then you can invoice them. Then you get paid 90 days later. Right. So we're on for... About six months. Yeah, five, six months at best. And that's assuming they then pay it on time. Yeah. So not ideal, but, you know, they're going to put a huge amount of money through the business. And at this point, you know, I'm pretty young and I'm pretty naive. And, you know, we could kind of cash flow the business until these started to come in. So why not? It seemed like an opportunity. Um. It didn't occur to me as well that a company that big would ever get into any trouble. So I didn't feel at risk. Yeah. Well, spoiler alert, I was at risk. That company, long story short, went under and took with it thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds that it owed me. For that six months, I'd been bankrolling the business and bankrolling the staff and bankrolling the rent and bankrolling the business rates and the suppliers and everything else that goes into it on the expectation that this money would come through and it just didn't it didn't so i had a couple of choices at that point i could shut the business mm. um and then try and figure out another job or another something or i could leave my home and move into the business ultimately i couldn't afford both i could barely afford one and i lived away from from home i wasn't near my family so if i had moved back in with my family i'd have had to shut the business and try and restart and get a job somewhere else yeah still still owing by the way that tenancy and all the stuff that goes on that that doesn't go away because you shut the doors that's right um if i gave up my home and kind of figured out how to move into this business i stood a chance of working my way out of it i stood a chance of 
of some kind of daylight. So that's what I did on a cold, rainy, horrible Tuesday evening. I took my sleeping bag, my backpack, I moved into treatment room of the clinic. And that became home for for a while until I tried to figure out a way out of this big old hole. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's commitment. I mean, and um, did you have all mod cons in the um, in the place, or you know, did you have shower and cooking facilities, anything like that? Nope. So I bought a um, a microwave that did some kind of oven thing. Yeah, they don't work either. Bought <laughs> um, one of those two hob electric oh, yeah, thing, like camping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and across the road was a gym. So I got a membership at the gym to, to shower a couple of times a day. So I had to kind of sneak in and out there, go shower before I saw my clients. And at the end of the day, go do the same thing again. Wow. Yeah, that was um, an interesting and tough time, I'm sure. So you had like at least a six-month gap in your cash flow or hole in your cash flow. Um, um, I guess there's a few lessons you probably picked up along the way there from that experience, but... Um, um, but you, you, you were sort of you made a decision really to kind of keep it going, try and keep it going. So that's um, that's commendable. And you know, um, I'm sure that you, um, well, st- th- there's a struggle there, obviously. Um, but there's an awful lot of uh, grit that seems to come out from an experience like that. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think some of it again comes from a bit of a challenge in upbringing that. Um, grit is just kind of a given you you just quit and had I decided to shut the clinic had I decided to go bankrupt it would have meant not paying staff wages and not paying suppliers and not paying these people and that people and that wasn't something that was tenable for me Mm. so there had to be a better way and the only way I could do that was to just you know work a bit harder and dig in a bit deeper and scrap and hustle and fight and and find a solution the solution didn't come from where i thought it would come it came from property but uh-huh. you know ultimately i found a solution so yeah grit is is everything yeah it is so uh, so tell us then so what it's interesting you said it, the solution came from a, a different direction not what you were necessarily uh, thinking it would do so what happened what was the light bulb moment or what was the event or encounter or, you know how did this all happen how did property come across your radar yeah, so I've been working, uh, you know, in this situation for three or four months and kind of doing every hour I could and every day I could, thinking there had to be a way forward, right? There had to be some kind of, something would happen. But there just aren't that many hours a day. When you owe that much money, it doesn't matter how much you charge per hour, you're just not going to get it back. I couldn't work hard enough. Um, uh, one of my patients, actually, is a very, very big developer i didn't know this at the time but i started to talk to him about some things and he was like oh you know this is what i do and because he would drive some nice cars and his cars changed every couple of months and his whole family worked there and i'm like this is interesting so i started to talk to him a bit about it and as he's kind of telling me some more bits and pieces about what he does he left the clinic one day um he and i sat down at the laptop at the computer desk and just typed in how to make money quickly, I think. And again, some kind of property thing splashed up. And I was like, oh, 
interesting what is it and I clicked on and it happened to take me to some landing page for an event one of the free taster session thingies and that's where I where I went um now I'm going to say that with every caveat I can find that <laughs> you know property is not a get rich quick it is not a hail mary it is not a what is it not rich it's not it's not the golden goose or the golden egg or the golden something <laughs> it can be fantastic and in my case you know it did some amazing things but if anyone's watching this you know particularly now in such a challenging time your back's against the wall please mark decisions and do not buy into someone telling you that you can get rich quick in 30 seconds with no work from property it's not true that said you got rich in in 30 seconds through property did you (laughs) yeah yeah so anywho next day problem solved um i went along to this thing and there's some really interesting points to make and i'm like okay if any of this is true if anyone can make it work, I can. Not because there's anything special, but like you said, I've got the grit. You know, I'm killing myself working every hour God sends as it is, and as I do it on something that is going to be profitable. So I bought um, a basic package of something. I can't remember how much it was or what it was. I think it was about a grand. And I got the basic information. And they talked about JV partners and this and that. So I'm like... Okay, well, I get the principle of rent. I get the principle of passive income. I get that I can't work any harder. And I get that I cash. This seems to tick all those boxes. Do it. And off I went networking. Um, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a clue how it should be done. I didn't have a clue about any of this stuff. Really. So I just went and just did some stuff. Um, and it worked. I got within about a year, within about a year, got over a million pounds in JV. Um, built a really nice portfolio off the back of that with none of my own cash. Um, really quickly then pulled more deals than I you know, knew what to do with. So had a really, really fast win, a turnkey investment side of the company. Um, what's really interesting is that it took a few months of this happening. So I don't know, let's say we get six months on the line and, you know, the property stuff's killing it, but I'm still doing it every day in the clinic. And it took my friend to say to me, Kim, you are aware that you're making like X times more from property than you are from this. Like, what are you doing? So I actually applied the principles that I'd learned in property investing in terms of, you know, cash flow projection and, and managing money in used to sort out some of the business side of the of the clinic um, managed to sell that and off I went full-time in property so it was uh, an incredible 12 months um, from the point of, of it was a journey um, but yeah that's that was my my dream. Wow. So, so it's basically 12 months from the either the Google search or the attending that you know, event, you were full-time yeah. property. And yeah. you'd also 
turned around your business by the sound of it and um, and packaged it up to sell it. Yeah. Um, and, and you said that was actually through applying some of the principles, in fact, that you'd learned through um, the property business. So in terms of the strategies that you were following then, just to be specific in property, mm. um, what sort of strategies were you, were you doing to start out with at least? So um, initially it was, I did a lot of single lets, uh, buy, refurbish, refinance. Um, because of the lead gen that I was in, the relationship was building, it happens to bring along with it uh, some lease options. It happens to bring with it some rent-to-rent deals as well. So it was a real cash flow heavy bottom of the pyramid type of investing. Yeah. On my end, there was a little bit of line break up there. So I just wanted to, if, forgive me if I ask again, just for clarity, but, um, did you say the relationship that you were in um, was that what relationship was that? Sorry, <laughs> no, because the relationships I was building with you know local estate agents and with maintenance men and with builders and with um, window cleaners, everyone that we went out to to find leads to to kind of buy properties, also brought us stuff that couldn't be bought or that wasn't the best solution for the owner. Yeah. So it brought with it lease options and rent to rents and other kind of weird and wonderful things that we were able to utilize as well. Sounds like you had quite a, a toolbox that you were, um, you know, carrying around with you and just, you know, whether it was a, a BRR deal or rent to rent deal or lease option deal, you were kind of applying different types of solution maybe. Um, yeah. Well, I think, you know, I genuinely, and this is something, we had a bit of a chat about this before we came on actually, it's something that's increasingly important and I think it's, it's something I've again brought through with me you know when we talk about having win-win situations right we talk about making these solutions win-win but how often is it actually the forefront of your mind and I know that at times in my career in property sometimes it's because of lack of time sometimes it's lack of thought sometimes it is uh being too busy and just doing too much then actually I'm just like, can we just get this done and move on? Just get it done and move on. And you're not stopping and saying to the owner, look, what is it you need? Tell me what you need and I will do my level best to find that solution for you. But at the time, because because I, I was in or I was just coming out of a financially horrible situation and because it's who I am as a person anyway, I had real empathy with all these homeowners that were having whatever challenges. So I'm like... You know what? I get it. <laughs> Believe me, I get it. I can't tell you quite why or how I get it right now, but I do. So, you know, you tell me and I will try and figure it out. And a combination of authenticity and actually giving a damn in combination with uh, a basic, a very basic at the time, understanding the, the principles of these strategies. I mean, actually, I kind of got through deals really, really fast. And they were deals that I was really proud to stand behind because they did solve the problem, which meant they're weird and wonderful and they're outside of the box. And if you'd asked anyone at the time, they'd have said, oh, you know, that's crazy or that's too much effort or you'll make an extra couple of hundred quid doing this. Um, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. What mattered was that they were getting what they needed and that, you know, I was being able to pay the bills. That sounds good. I mean, um, you're coming from a good place by the sound of it. And um, just as a bit of a timestamp, um, 
when was that? Um, when was that sort of first year? How many years ago would that have been now? Uh, that's a good question. Um, nine? Ten? <laughs> nine or ten years ago. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. And um, so after the first year then, you know, what, what happened next? So you were full-time in property that, by that point and you didn't have the clinic anymore. So, you know, what, what, what did you do next? What was the next phase? What did that look like? Um, the next phase was much of the same. Um, at the time, I was investing a long way from my home. And, yeah, just kind of kept going, really, just churning out, churning out. I think... Uh, I think a couple of things happened at that point. The first was that I realised that I was actually making quite nice money and it was really fun. So I was like going for every deal there was and I went absolutely hell for leather in the next year. And then I got to the back of the end of that, the second year, and I realised that actually life sucked a little bit. <laughs> it was different, but it, was, it wasn't okay. So I had money. And I had a lot of that stress off. And, you know, it was a moderate amount of, of success. But, you know, I had some money by that point. I had some nice income and a nicer home and things at that point. But I was killing myself, killing myself because I needed every deal and I needed to be up and down the motorway. And, you know, if I had, if I employed this person, it took some of my cash away. And I was really enjoying hoarding money at that point. So I'd never had any in my life. <laughs> um, so it took, it, it took me getting to the end of that year, like, burnt out I was cooked um and then having a, a conversation uh, I think with my boyfriend at the time he was like this is this is crazy you're working harder than you've ever worked you know you don't need we need to you need to figure this out um and I wasn't ready to hear it at the time <laughs> but it took me probably another six months of just killing myself to realize to start thinking about why I got into this in the first place, it was, you know, yes, it was because I was stuck. There's no, you know, there's no cons about it. But it was also because I wanted a different lifestyle and I wanted my family to have things. And I wanted to be able to spend some time and spend some money on my mum. And I wanted to do these other things. And I wasn't doing any of them. You know, yes, you know, I was able to financially support and financially help, but I didn't see anyone. Mm. I missed birthday parties and Christmas parties and dinners and this and that because I was up and down this motorway. Um, and that's something that I talk about a lot now. I talk about people that I'm kind of coaching or mentoring in property at the moment is build the business that you that you want and that fits the lifestyle you want. Because I think if you look at what a lot of people would have you believe, what a lot of social media would have you believe, it's bigger is best, you know, do more, do more, do more, do more. And maybe, maybe do more. Like, you know, I didn't stop, let's not pretend this, I carried on, but I did it smarter. And then, you know, I bought in a team and I, I paid for people to do stuff that I didn't do. It. And yes, that has an impact on your profit margin initially, but actually you're able to scale, excuse me, far higher, far quicker because you're not trying to be in a hundred places. Yeah. And then you realize funny things like, I didn't want to read a contract. I didn't find them very interesting. So why don't I have someone else do it and I can spend that time with my family. Um, so the next phase was probably trying to align what it also actually wanted, um, what I had to do to 
achieve that and who I had to become to achieve that because I had to change from being the young entrepreneur to being a grown-up business owner and that was hard like you know that's that's tough the um what I was going to say is a couple of things you said there I mean just there's actually quite a lot of stuff I just want to focus in on I mean you talked about the hoarding money stuff and I think um we all have like a a, a money blueprint and often it's in, influenced by our upbringing or, you know, various events that happen to us. So just kind of wanted to clock that, <laughs> you know, you talked about it, you were, hoard, you were kind of hoarding money because, you know, you, you, you just come from this place of like hardship or lack, not necessarily yeah. short term by the sound of it, you know, it sounds like it, it was for an extended period. So that's understandable. You also talked about you, you kind of wanted, wanted to have a business that fitted, you know, your, your lifestyle and allowed you to do certain things that you did and you wanted to be more smart about it. Now, the thing is this, what I'm identifying, and, and I think even now you say you want to have a grown-up business. What, how did these changes come about? You know, how did you, did you, is it just, did you just wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat and go, this is what I need to do? Or, you know, was there something else happening? You know, was there an external input or, you know, how did that all happen? How did these changes come about? That's what I'm interested in. Okay, so um, first of all, you're absolutely right about the money blueprint, and it's unbelievable just how ingrained these things, these beliefs are in us. To the point that for a really long time, I kept hitting a financial ceiling. I couldn't get past this ceiling, and it didn't matter how hard I worked or what the deals I got. I hit this ceiling, and I either like invest in something stupid, and you know, it didn't, it didn't ever lose it, but it didn't make any money, or I did something and I just couldn't get past it. And it, for me, it became that that was a, the only number I was comfortable being because I don't come from a place of wealth, but I wasn't used to money. So that was a ceiling that I just couldn't break through until I became comfortable with the fact that I was earning money and had a, a business. Um, so I would say to people listening, be aware of those things. They are way bigger and way more influential than we give them credit for. And I don't think, it's talked about enough mm. um, and you'll see it as well with potential friends and family if you have some success um, and with it comes some nicer things you might see a bit of discomfort from other people in being able to cope with the changes in you and in your life and that's you know in some ways it's part of the journey but you know it's not easy it's not easy um the other bit was about the, the changes did i wake up in a cold sweat i mean yes many cold sweats None of them bought the answer for me. No. <laughs> no. I woke up, you know, there are lots of times I wake up and thinking, this isn't, this isn't the dream. You know, when I, when I did this, when I went on that taster session, when I did that course, they told me about financial freedom. I could do whatever I wanted. And this person stood up and said she went to a spa on Monday morning. Well, my diary is jam-packed. Like, I'm having to put in lunch <laughs> to make sure someone's bringing me some food otherwise I'll go hungry I haven't seen my family it's not what I wanted um, and along with I've been really fortunate and I've sought out lots of different mentors because I think lots of different people have different things to teach you and for me the same way as books I don't tend to read books generically I tend to try and read a book for the thing I wanted to learn um, so I started reading uh, Sam Carpenter's work, The System, 
uh, I can't remember his name, something Verne scale up. Um, good to great and built to sell. I think is it Jim Collins. I was reading stuff around systemization. You've obviously got E-Myth, Michael Gerber. And it it made clear to me that this was things that were, that were way, way gone, you know, hadn't even crossed my mind. And I think some of it, again, if you come from families where you have maybe stuff or you have companies or it's just conversations that you have that people do things for you, that's natural. But in mine, if you want something, you work for it. If you want more of it, you work a bit harder. And if you want more, you work even harder. And so I was kind of banging again, again, to talk about our financial blueprint. I was banging my head against this brick wall and like, I just got to keep working, keep working, keep working. And, you know, I had conversations with mentors that were like, you need to outsource the $20 jobs because then you could do $100. I'm like, or I can work harder. I can do the $20 and the $100 and then I've got $120. <laughs> um, and it took a long time and my health suffered. And, um, you know, I was burning out at a, a real rate to to genuinely understand what it means you know I got the words I got the idea I could never imagine that stuff would be taken care of and I wouldn't have to check up on it that's just madness no one can do it as well as me Uh, you know lovely little bit of ego in there (laughs) And and then it turns out that lots of people do almost everything better than me there's a couple of things I'm great at, the rest of it I'm terrible. So I shouldn't be anywhere near it. Um, and honestly, I was earning really quite nice money and still like ordering flat pack furniture. <laughs> and building um, it yourself? <laughs> it had been known. It had been known. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so I was I was in eight, I was in some rent to rent HMOs, putting together this bloody furniture. And I am not a handy person. That's not something I should be doing. Um, so anyway, it took a long time to be comfortable with what was and who had become and you know, giving people tasks and setting KPIs and holding others accountable and holding myself accountable. And that's, that wasn't an easy journey. It, it really wasn't. Um, but that was the kind of the next phase in really being able to set some audacious goals and achieve them. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about goals. I mean, but interestingly, I mean, a goal in itself is, it, is unless there's something behind it, it, it's kind of just a dream with a label on it, I suppose. Um, so I think you kind of what you're saying now is that you kind of had this evolution, or maybe it was a revolution, I don't know, but into becoming a business owner um, by the sound of it. You know, so you went from effectively doing everything yourself, working and hustling and building flat pack furniture occasionally to, um, you know, kind of bringing in people who are at least as good as you um, in certain areas, if not better, um, and then setting them targets and measuring their performance. Um, and as you, I think you used the phrase, that would be, you know, um, I don't know if you use this exact phrase, but you were saying becoming a grown-up or having a grown-up business. Um, and we don't get taught that do we um we don't get taught it in the educational system primarily even if you've got a business school I think, probably that um so we don't get taught that and it sounds to me that you were just just listening to some of what you said about the book references you were sort of educating yourself in those areas 
I know you're you you said you you're kind of massively into study. Uh, I know you're into personal development. Every time I talk to you about that, you've got like half a dozen references that you give me. Um, so you, you're massively immersed in, um, you know, kind of learning as you go. Is that, is that fair? Is that kind of what happened? You had these mentors, some of them were the written books and some of them were actual people to help. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm a massive nerd. There's, there's, there's no secret there. Yeah. Um, but also I think some of it is, is a, I don't have the answers. And yeah. I think particularly property and entrepreneurship, there's this kind of, uh, I don't know what it is, a, an enigma. Right? You've got to be the one-man band. You've got to know all the answers. Look what this person did, what that person did, and they've done it all without help. When actually, if you look at their stories, if you spoke to them, you would find out really, really fast they didn't do it without help and they didn't do it without support. So why are we trying to? Yeah. And I think there's a real danger in the whole hustle mentality that we've got at the moment and this whole hustle porn like you're killing yourselves people take a take a step have a breath have a day off um you know being working yourself to the point of exhaustion is not a something to be proud of if you have to do that something's really really wrong and i think particularly in property training and there are lots of stuff that i've come across there's a lot of talk about hustle there's a lot of talk about you know sweat equity there's a lot of talk about bigger and better and more and more and more deals there's a little bit of talk about doing things smart but no real elaboration people like to keep those secrets to themselves well that's certainly how it looks and yeah I went out and I knew that that was the one thing that I was going to struggle with again I'm not my nature isn't a um ticking boxes spreadsheet kind of person i love them i love to have them running my life i don't want to actually make them and you don't know what you don't know so i didn't even know what to put on the spreadsheets if someone had said to me you know what make some i'd be like oh okay i i don't know what to do so it, it really took paying small fortunes for business owners not just uh what we maybe would call traditional mentors but people that were actually running their business to you know, for them to open the hood and show me what was going on, show me the KPIs they used, show me how they did this stuff, and then help me do it. Mm. Because I could only ask the questions that I knew to ask. I couldn't ask the questions that I didn't know to ask. I couldn't set things that I didn't know existed. Yeah. And they were real holes that I had to plug. We have our, we all have our blind spots, don't we? Of course, you know. What's that, you know, the the competence and uh, you know consciously incompetent whatever that matrix you know yeah. the one. you're the nerd you probably know exactly what it is so uh <laughs> it's true but i was thinking that um some of the people i've been speaking to on this series have kind of what was in my head when we when you started talking for some reason was that we're a nation of shopkeepers now we used to be a nation of shopkeepers I think we became a nation of buy-to-let investors. And, um, you know, okay, that's not exactly true, but you know where I'm going. It's, you know, buy-to-let almost became the shopkeeper of the, you know, recent generation. Uh, um, buy-to-let sort of emerged. So you buy a buy-to-let property, you try and save up and buy another one. And maybe if you're lucky, you've got enough to retire comfortably um, in 20, 30 years sort of thing. Um, what you've done is... Um, You've done some of that, of course you have, but you've kind of turned it into a business. And I think that's 
you know, what, why I'm really interested in your story is you kind of look, you're looking at property as a business. I always say property is a business, even if you're a buy-to-let uh, investor. But actually what you've done is you kind of business-sized the, um, the whole, you know, model. And, you know, you've brought in systems, you've brought in people. Uh, we haven't even talked about perhaps other strategies you've gone into after that first couple of years or so. Um, but that, that's what really intrigues me about your journey is, you know, and, and I guess it's allowed you, I imagine, to scale. I don't know if you can give any clues to the sort of scale that you've achieved over the last nine or ten years. Could you? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's property is a business. And I think we've talked about it a lot, haven't we? We've talked about a lot of the stuff that's put out there. And people talk about when they do their figures for deals. I don't know if I've ever seen someone include tax as uh, a cost. Or um, I, I like to add in kind of double margins because something always goes wrong. We know that. We say every time things cost longer and take cost more and take longer than you know they're going to do it. Okay, cool. Where is that on your spreadsheet? Oh, I didn't include it. Just put it in. Save yourself the drama because we also both know that when we don't do it, you pay the price and then you're annoyed. You knew it anyway, right? Pay it later, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we all knew it, and yet we try to pretend it wouldn't happen just this once and. And then we end up kind of hustling at the end to try and, and, and sort it out. So just building it in and then saying, actually, it's just not worth it. Or it is worth it. And I know that I'm going to have to do this to make it work. Yeah. Um, but to talk about the kind of the scale they're moving on to, I can tell you that that guy that was my patient that, yeah. um, that, that kind of introduced me in, in some ways to this, has gone on to become a JV partner. Oh, wow. And we are looking at the moment at a project in, we have an exchange, so I can't, have to be a little bit cautious, but uh, it's a big old lump. Change the uh, names to protect the innocent, Kemi. There. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's a big old lump. It's probably, oh, it's not probably, it's 90 studio flats in a, Building. Nine zero. Nine zero. Um, there is potential to develop at the back of that and at the top of that. Um, and yeah, so hopefully that's uh, that will come off. There was a few challenges with that project. The units are um, some of the units aren't mortgageable size. So you know, in terms of managing our exits and things, we've got to decide what risks we're happy to go with at the point at this point to be honest that project's maybe 50 50 we might move on to something else um but yeah but it's, it's multiple multiple millions sorry Kim. it's multiple millions presumably yeah yeah so you kind of if you dial you know from a, a single let brr lease option or rent to rent single unit at this end of the scale fast forward to today nine or ten years later and you're looking at multi-million 90 plus unit um development opportunity mm. yeah, yeah i was just curious i don't know i should have said at the time but you know you talked about this um patient um yeah. who became a jv partner did, yeah. did you also say you kept turning up in different cars and stuff yes 
was just wondering if he was just getting in loads of accidents. <laughs> and that's why he came as a patient. I don't know if that's... <laughs> Do you know what? I mean, no, but he did have... So he had some very nice cars and he had, you know, he's got some Bentleys and um, he's a huge fan of Bentleys. I don't love them, but they were... For, in the area that my business is in, they were pretty unusual. So they drew a lot of attention. But he also had some smart cars. Okay. He's tiny little boy. He's a big old guy, six foot... <laughs> Or maybe, and he would turn up sometimes in these smart cars. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, well, he was at the time he was doing some big developments in the Tottenham area. He's like, parking's terrible, so I can just shove this anywhere and leave it. <laughs> Put it in your back pocket as you walk down the road. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. But so, that's quite funny. I, I know that was a sort of slight, light-hearted digression, but mm. equally. I, if I know some elements about this individual and trying to piece things together from other conversations we've had, um, yeah. you know, it, you, whilst he might be a developer and doing big things and driving Bentley and occasionally a smart car, um, yeah. you know, was he sort of a big hitting type of person or was he sort of a more everyday type of person? Um, and how did you connect beyond the patient, you know, a physio relationship as it were, how did that progress? Just curious about that. Yeah, so, um, I mean, there's zero chance he's ever going to watch this, so it's, it's not a problem. But he is an East End lad, through and through. He started off, I think, with used cars. He's owned nightclubs. If there's a, a way you could hustle and make some money, he's done it. Um, he didn't do the traditional education stuff and puts almost no stock in it at all. Um He's a, he's just the best. He's the best guy. And um, he was my first patient. And so I had a big glass side to this clinic. And this big guy comes down, down the side here, banged on the glass. <laughs> and uh, he's like, babe, have you got an appointment today? I was like, what? I've been waiting for ages for you to open. Have you got any appointments? I'm like, mm-hmm. what's up? <laughs> And that's how our, our relationship started. And, you know, he's, you wouldn't know, he's an incredibly wealthy man, incredibly wealthy. He's just completed a 900 home development that was pre-sold, actually pre-sold it to a council. Um, but you wouldn't know it outside of his Bentleys, of course. <laughs> uh, he's, <laughs> he's fun, he's kind, he is rude <laughs> in terms of like you know he's got he's got the bunts um but you wouldn't know it and so we just had conversations and we talked about some things and I knew I didn't really know what he did but I knew he did some stuff so occasionally I'd ask him for some advice yeah uh, you know I had a bit of a problem with a staff member so he's like oh you know talk to my lawyer they'll sort you out um, get a bit of a hand and um the relationship came from just that from having a relationship you know, I didn't even want to knew what he was doing. And I had started on the path. I didn't for a second envisage that he would be a JV partner because, you know, why would he work with me? Because he, I don't, he doesn't need me for anything. Yeah. Anything he, he has, he can, he can get or anything he wants, he can get. But I had devalued quite dramatically my experience, my skills, the different things I bought, the fact that actually... He just wants to work with a nice person. 
And when you're doing a lot of the, the big stuff that he's doing and, you know, buying out shopping centres and stuff, maybe not everyone is that nice. And so he wants to work with a nice person. Um, I've been talking, you know, and I'll be really honest in this. This is a, a big step up. You know, I've done some development stuff, but this is a, a big step up. And I had that conversation with him and said, look, you know, I haven't done 50, 60, 70,000 square foot. This is, this is huge. And he was like, Kevin, you're never ready. No one is ever ready. So let's do it. You know, I've got the team. I've got the resources. I've done this. Just trust me and put in the work. Deliver your side of this job uh, and it will be okay. And that was, I think, probably something that I've learned in the last year, maybe. It's mm. quite a recent learning. And I know, again, we've talked about this quite a lot, but... You often wait, I think. You wait for people to give you permission. You wait for to feel ready for stuff. You wait for the right time to step up levels. No one's going to give you permission. It's never the right time. You just got to do it. And, you know, we're working on a project at the moment, right? And it's a nice little lump. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm going to be cautious, but... <laughs> Uh, a lot of what we're bringing to this again is our skills and our experience and our knowledge and our ability to take something from, Oh, you could do that with that too. This is how you do it A to Z. And if that works, we will benefit from that. If we can get a deal over the line, we benefit from that quite nicely. Um, no one told us it was okay to do that, but we understand the value that we can bring to these projects. And the marketplace will value, in my experience, your skills way more highly than you will value them yourself. Yeah. So if you're looking for baby partners, don't undervalue yourself. Don't wait for someone to tell you what you're worth. Yeah, such a good lesson. I mean, how long was it then between banging on the door, hey, babe, to, um, you know, becoming a joint venture partner? What was the time interval, would you say? So... Uh, the year that I shut the practice, we spoke, um, and he came to me and said, uh, what are you up to? Like, what sort of deals are you doing? And I told him about these houses and they were up north, so little houses. So I don't want to do, you know, I want to back you, but I don't want to do like one or two. It's just not worth my time. Uh, I want to do 50. <laughs> okay. I was like, that's quite a lot of houses. <laughs> yeah. quite a lot. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, can you run 50 refurbs? Or... No, we can't run 50 refurbs because at the time, so let's not forget I was doing it all myself. So I'm like, well, I mean, if I do 10 a day, I can get around them all in a week. <laughs> and that's fine. I'll skip lunch on Thursday, so I won't do that. Um, and I actually declined that first investment. Uh, I was like, I can't, you know, I can't remember what it was worth. I think it's about 5 million, maybe a bit more in purchase costs and then more on refurb but I said no I was like I can't can't make it work on the scale he wanted I wasn't ready again I, I felt like I needed someone's permission to do that yeah but also in reality I probably wasn't experienced I wasn't ready to do that I wasn't running a business I was just hustling um and so it was a couple of years after that that we first worked together mm. and that went fine yeah, I had some challenges, but it went fine. But this project in particular, 
one of the things he said to me when we were talking about it and laying out the terms of our JV partnership and what would work and, and stuff was that he was really comfortable that I would make it work because at a time that, you know, the money would have been really nice, um, I turned it down. Uh-huh because it wasn't a good fit. I didn't feel like I could deliver it. I didn't feel like I could bring my half of the partnership yeah. and I wasn't about to do that. And that showed to him that I valued him. I valued his relationship, his friendship. I didn't want to lose that. Yeah. Uh, and I was being honourable, I guess. Yeah. Um, and that has given him confidence to go come along and do a, a bigger thing with me down the line. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said, isn't there, about, um, you know going bigger and not putting a glass ceiling on, but at the same time, not being reckless and just saying yes to anything and everything. Um, yeah. I think equally, it sounds to me like um, he certainly came to you first. You were just, you know, having, a, as you say, I think you, your exact words were, you were just developing the relationship. You were just being you. And um, the, the, it just evolved. And it's, it's interesting because when I think about some of the people I've worked with um, from a joint venture partnership point of view, you know, you don't just meet them and then they give you five million quid. It, it kind of doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you just meet them and ask for five million quid, it definitely doesn't work that way. So, you know, it, it's 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 about people first. It's about, you know, building a relationship and see if it is a good fit, um, I yeah. think. Yeah. And um, we've been... Yeah, we've, sorry. I was going to say, like, and to our point um, earlier in the conversation, like... Is that actually a good fit for them? Should they be putting their money into property? Maybe they shouldn't. And a lot of the times I think things go wrong or people are left not feeling good about it. As that They probably shouldn't have been in it anyway. Yeah. I get a lot of people that come to me and they say, uh, you know, I need to get my cash out of this deal. Um, you know, can you, who are your kind of, what what two my options are with this? The project's gone slower than I thought it would be in terms of so they're the private investor and they've partnered with someone that's doing the development. I'm like, okay, well, why do you need your cash out? Like it's all being paid, and it's like, oh, because my kids start school in September, and they said the deal will be done in August. So you didn't give yourself any leeway here. That was never a good fit. Um, and I think building the relationship first and having this conversation first means that you know whether or not it's possible, right? Can you have a conversation with them? Can you, can they bring more than money? Yeah. And I know some people say, well, their only job is to bring the money. And that's true in many ways. But actually, if something isn't going quite right, if you have hit a bit of a bump and you're like, I don't suppose you've got any ideas. You know, have you come across any of this in your working life, in your experience? You know, how do you, what do you think about this? What you don't want is someone to say, I brought the money, that's your problem. Mm. What you do want is that, you know what, to make this a success, we're all in it together. So let's have a chat and let's see what we can come up with. Mm. And maybe the answer still comes from you as the receiver of cash. Yeah. But you just needed someone to bounce those ideas off and, and have a chat. Um, but yeah, you want someone that's in it with you. There's a couple of things that are really important. I think first thing is... Um, is the responsibility on us as the recipient of funding. Um, and you've kind of said it in a couple of ways now, because you said you said no to what would have been probably quite a life-changing amount of investment um, the first time. Then, you know, just touching on the point of, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't whatever this is, you know, isn't for everyone. 
you know, if, if you're if you've got all your life savings and it's earmarked for something very personal to you, like school fees or for um, building your own home or whatever retirement, um, is it the you know because of property and nature property projects in particular is unpredictable um, to say the least. So you know maybe and and they've got a clear timeline and it's all of their money and they've got a specific use for it earmarked then you know it, we should advise really you know we should take the lead because sometimes not not all the people come coming to us are are sophisticated frankly so yeah. you know with this type of um matter so maybe they think oh i can make, i can make quite a lot of money in property they've heard about it if i give you my money can you give me some decent returns well yeah we can but there's some the reason they've got decent returns is they carry some risk and you know it, it, it there's some unpredictability about it so even if i'm guaranteeing you a fixed rate um there's still some unpredictability about my project potentially so yeah. i think it's really important to highlight the responsibility that we have and i think equally um i agree with you what you say about partnership um so even if it's just a money exchange you I'll, I'll invest with you and i want this return and even if it's a fixed rate and it's a fixed point in time and they're not really that involved it is more of a passive investment you know because of the nature of what we're involved in there is um a, a very uh, there's a likelihood that we'll have a, a, a communication at some point that you know yeah. i've found some of the people working with me now most closely have actually really added value in a number of different ways and I don't pretend to know everything. <laughs> and so yeah. they've really added value, all sorts of things. Like I'm just going to go and research some, you know, structures about a limited liability partnership. Would that be okay? Uh, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Crack on. Um, I've got some ideas about, you know, use of SAS pension funding um, that are, because I've got one and I'm rubbing shoulders with people who've got them. Um, would it be okay if, you know, I shared that with you? Yeah, that's okay. You know, so yeah. they bringing value to me as well so anyway, i digress so it's a responsibility part and it's this partnership i know partnership is a thrown out phrase but i think you know and it can mean different things to different people so it might be a small p partnership sometimes but the ability to collaborate so i just really want to underline that point sorry for laboring it but um, i know you see it the same way from conversations we've <laughs> it's hugely important and it really is undervalued um and i did a, a jv quite early days with someone I didn't actually like that much, to be honest. And I'm not convinced they liked me. Um, it was a purely very financial... How did that go? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it went it went fine, but it was a long nine months. And, you know, every time my phone went off, I was like, oh, I don't want to answer this. Um, and there was a slight delay with remortgaging I can't remember what the challenge was at that point. It was something, I can't remember. Um, but there had been a slight delay with remortgaging. And it wasn't a disaster. It was like seven, eight weeks because I had to get some work redone or something redone. And in normal terms, it wouldn't have been a problem. But because the friction was already kind of there and it was already a little bit laboured, it just made it unbearable and unnecessarily so Uh, and that's a lesson that I've learned apparently I I didn't learn it right away I did it a couple more times because it was you know it was the early days and it was a time of testing and I thought you had to take on every every day where we talked about this before Um, but it was when I learned to say no that things got much better 
and I started really enjoying you know what I do um, and this you know this JV partner of mine he isn't for everyone because yeah, you know his language is lively and he's a <laughs> lively guy and I'm a bit of an introvert so I'm not that loud so it's kind of quite a an old yin and yang situation but he gives me so much energy he's so full of life he's so funny that I really look forward to talking to him even when I know that he's going to challenge me even when I know that you know I've let some of my inhibitions or my fears or my baggage or whatever it is and I haven't pushed something I haven't negotiated hard enough I haven't done this hard enough or to a standard that he would like Mm. Uh, even when I know that conversation is not necessarily going to be comfortable, he's not going to give me a pat on the head and say, well, John, I don't mind the chat because he's got my best interest. Oh, I've got his and I really want the project to work. We want to work together. You know, I don't need him. He doesn't need me. We're choosing to do this. Yeah. He could go to other people. I could go to other people. and we, But we want to. And that's, um, that's a pretty special thing to be, to be doing. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, just thinking about, you know, um, drawing some conclusions and, and maybe thinking about um, piecing some of these elements together. So much you've been talking about and so much I could talk about, but just maybe start to think about, well, you talked there about some of what you've learned, but, you know, what have you learned a lot across the last nine or 10 years that you could sort of summarise for people listening to this and watching you? For me personally, I learned that, so I now use three words quite heavily in everything I do, impact, income, and influence. I learned that income was great, but it wasn't enough. I needed to make a bigger difference to have an impact, to feel satisfied. And I didn't think that was true at the beginning because you know, it came from nothing or I just want some cash. But it, it was true. Everything that I've done, you know, I talked about the physical thing and I wanted to have an impact there. Um, I wanted to be able to help people that wanted a sporting career. I wanted people that couldn't access private healthcare to, to be able to get some of it. And now I want to, and what I've, you know, the, the impacts I've wanted to have over the years has changed and my, uh, my focus has changed. But I want to have an impact on um, on homelessness in the country, and I want to use some of the things we're doing to to look at how I can have a bigger impact on homelessness. Uh, domestic violence and victims of domestic violence has always been a big thing for me, um, and you know I'm looking at what can be done there. Equally, um, you know, I I have my book and I coach and I mentor people because I want to have an impact in everyone that thinks that wherever they're from or where they're at now, they can't achieve things and you can. Um, that's the impact I want. And I've learned that, so to answer your question, my biggest learning is that I'm not going to be flipping or crass and say money doesn't make you happy because it kind of does, you know, it makes things easier, it makes life easier. Yeah. It, it gives you some nice experiences and some nice stuff. But for me, it didn't make me complete or anywhere close to it. Um, and so for me, completeness comes from having an impact and it comes from being able to influence things. You know, uh, one of the things I've never forgotten, and it's 
in many ways, I don't know, I don't know. I'll tell you and you can make your own judgment. When the book came out, um, we did a huge launch across the US and the UK. And one of the reviews on US Amazon, and someone sent this to me, I hadn't seen it, said, I was going to have my home repossessed. And what I learned in the book stopped me from having my home repossessed. That is something that has never left me. And I don't think it ever will. I hope it doesn't, because I think that's... To be able to have that impact on someone is a real honour. Um, and that, that kind of means everything. Um, and what I'd like to be influencing, what I've learned is that what I really care about is influencing some social policy, influencing the way we go about things, influencing the way we talk and the way we teach and the lessons that we give our children. Because not a lot's changed from when I was a kid or when I was at uni, when I started, and even someone started this 10 years ago. Not a huge amount has changed. We're still giving children the same lessons. We're still subconsciously telling people that if you come from a certain place or you look a certain way or you don't look a certain way or you do this or you do that, you can't achieve. Um, and that's not really acceptable. So I guess I've learned that um, like we care about more than things than I thought I did at the beginning. Mm. Um, I've learned that people and relationships are everything. And rightly and wrongly, it's perfectly fine to say, we're not a great fit. That's not a problem. You know, that there are millions of people, what, 7 billion people on the planet. Be a great fit with someone else, that's okay. Um, and I've learned that you're never ready for the next step. Mm-hmm. You never feel ready. Just do it. Take all the precautions you can. Learn everything you can. Get as good people around you as you can. But you'll figure it out. Just take the next step and don't, don't wait to be given permission. Permission won't come. I love the permission thing. I mean, the um, what's the phrase? It's, um, it's easier to seek forgiveness than it is for permission. Yeah. Um, probably best not to be seeking forgiveness too often, but... Um, <laughs> but yeah, rough. Um, also, what you say, I mean, I know it's a, it's a well-worn phrase to talk about it's a journey. But you, just to go full circle, you said something at the beginning of our conversation about who you become um, along the way. And, you know, all of these things shape us. We're rough diamonds and we're having all the rough edges knocked off us so that we can sparkle. And so when yeah. you talked about, you know, for example, maybe you started with one of those eyes, which is income. And then, you know, Steve Jobs says you join the dots looking back. Impact. Yeah. You kind of had it anyway, but you've just evolved that and changed it. And then, as you, as you've, I was going to say, found your voice, but I, that's not the right phrase. But as you got more confident in your voice um, in this area, you've been able to impart and influence um, people as well along the way. And that story about someone, you know, it making a difference in someone's life because they read your book is amazing. By the way, it's the power of real estate investing just do because uh, i know you're too modest to mention it and we had a little joke earlier that it's not on the shelf behind you but um no it's not <laughs> we said didn't we i should have like it facing out on every space yeah, yeah exactly if you've got more than one you can do you know you can do that but, um, the power of real estate investing kenny's book um which is well worth a read um i know you're too modest to mention it but 
I think, you know, that's just really interesting, the sort of um, the three eyes that you've got now um, that you you speak about a lot. And it's one of the, we talk about those sorts of topics quite a lot as well. And I think it's one of the reasons we resonate with one another. But you you equally um, helped me with some of my own glass ceilings um, in some recent conversations. And, um, you know, some of the opportunities we're talking about now have been in that area. And it's because of the conversations. And I think it is also about... Um, a good fit working with people that there's a good fit so um, I'm certainly feeling there's a good fit um, in our conversation so I'm looking forward to that evolving and my glass ceiling being smashed and everything you know that goes with it it's um you're right though you know it's an absolute journey and when I started I didn't think I could achieve anything I did you know it was a Hail Mary and a, a hope got a bit of success and thought I could achieve anything, you know, nothing could go wrong, everything was fine, I had all the answers. Did a bit more, realised it's not quite true. Now I'm kind of back to, uh, I think I can achieve anything I can put my mind to, but I also know that I need the support and I need friendships and I need great relationships and I need great JV partners. Um and that's kind of, uh, for me, it's a bit of an, uh, the epitome of kind of many journeys you go on when you embark on this, especially if you want to go into it full time. And if you don't, by the way, that's perfectly fine as well. I often say that I don't love property and this might seem counterintuitive. Some people love the bricks and the mortar and the whatever else, the whatever else. I really don't. I don't. I love what it's done for me and my family. I love the impact I've been able to have and the influence I've been able to have. And I love the income that it provides, but I don't feel that way about, you know, blueprints and architectural layouts. <laughs> so if you as well, that's okay. Fit, decide where it fits in your life and allow it to help you on your journey. Yeah. But maybe it's not necessarily all of your journey. And that's okay. Yeah, I think so. I was describing go up the mountain, you know, stage by stage. You can't necessarily see the peak, so you just go and you you've got a different perspective at this point. Then you go to that level, and you've got a different perspective again, and you can see a bit further up. And the view, the view just changes, and that's life, really. You know, we change and evolve. But I think it was Carolina Adamczyk who came on the Women in Property series that I had last time out, who said that she tried to go into property. And uh, she was much more of an interior designer. And so she actually flipped back and just worked as a service provider to property developers as, uh, as like an interior designer and, um, and that kind of thing. So as you say, it's not for everyone. And I'm really interested when you said you don't love property. Um, you know, it's a means to an end, you know, or it can be. And, and, and it's great when people do love property as well. But I think it's what it can, what it can bring and then allows you, in your case, by the sound of it, to you know make an impact and makes uh, you know bring some influence to bear on the sound of it as well as the the income stream so um there's loads there i could keep talking forever but just thinking we probably ought to draw a line on our uh, conversation at some point i'm probably around about the hour mark kemi so um i don't know if you've got any parting thoughts um but even if you don't have any parting thoughts that perhaps you wouldn't mind sharing um how people could get hold of you if they wanted to connect that would be really great yeah um no i don't really have any passing thoughts i do i think we've had a really lovely conversation i hope this has been valuable um to, to your listeners if you do want to reach out grab me at hello at kemiegan.co um 
it's quite a busy inbox, so bear with, but I'll definitely uh, definitely get back to you. We talked a lot about JV partners, so I will say um, that there is on my site, it's, it's being rebuilt, but it will still be on that page, kemiegan.co forward slash gift. I've written like 23, 24, 25 pages, something like that. It's a huge big of lump about um, raising finance and about partnerships and about how to kind of do that, some of the things I've learned. That might be a little bit valuable as well. But yeah, if you want to grab me, hello at kemiegan.co. And was that gift or gifts? Gifter. Gifter. Singular. Gift. I'll make sure. <laughs> only, only one team, even if we're saying two or three. <laughs> right. Okay, perfect. Kemi, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming. Um, yeah, you're definitely one of the real people. Um, I think people are going to get a lot out of just, you know, listening to what you've shared with us today. I really appreciate it and value it. Thank you once again. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Rich. You're welcome. Okay. Well, there you go. That was the conversation I had with Kemi, uh, both in lockdown mode. Uh, there's a video version that will be up on our YouTube channel. I've started sharing some of these interviews um, through video shares on, on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe to the Property Voice YouTube channel. And you can uh, you can watch us in glorious Technicolor in our lockdown environments. Uh, so there you go. So as you heard, uh, Kemi is a self-confessed nerd who likes to study, who likes study and sport. Uh, she went into physiotherapy and after a very bumpy ride in business, um, you know, actually found herself actually living in her office, so technically homeless. She She's come through the other end over the years. I think it's, um, I'm trying to think actually the, the number of years it's been, I think it's uh, I think it's about nine or ten years actually, that she's turned things around and actually has gone from strength to strength. She started out with a heavy cash flow strategy and a heavy uh, mileage on the car as well as she was up and down the motorway from from the London southeast sort of area up to the north to where she was focusing on, on her property strategies back then. But she's patiently developed and grown over the years. And um, it's not get rich quick by any means. And she's um, also gone about things by turning her property investing into a business operation. Uh, you probably picked that up, that she brings people around her. She's got uh, people and systems around her now and she's broadened out her, her interests as a result of that and it's not just cash flow strategies anymore as she mentioned she's doing quite a substantial uh, development development opportunity now so you know talk about growing um, perfecting what we're doing and then and then moving on to the next level she did talk about uh, relationships quite a lot and if you remember that uh, joint venture partner who actually is sponsoring her for that very large substantial development was um, you know talking to us some years ago, or they were they were talking to each other some years ago, but uh, there was an offer to get involved and support her back then, and she said no, and I thought that was really interesting. It demonstrates an awful lot of integrity. I'm sure that the private investor uh, felt that that produced some integrity as well, and it was it wasn't that she said no, uh, you know I don't want the money. It was it was whether she felt that she could, with with integrity take that money and put it to good use and handle, you know, such a sizable investment in a short period of time. So I thought that was great. Uh, there was quite a lot of, you know, really interesting things that uh, came out. Uh, I, I love the phrase that she uh, she realized who I was to become or had to become rather. She had to grow like we all do. We all have to grow. It's what we become along the way. We're not necessarily the finished article before we get started. 
So we have to invest in ourselves. We have to gain experience. We have to probably make some f- uh, mistakes and, and fail forward, as they say, as they do. So there's quite a lot of uh, elements to that that I thought was really interesting. Uh, the networking, obviously, that came out. Another key phrase, of course, was um, the the not seeking permission. Um, she talks about that, didn't she, quite heavily. You know, don't don't seek out permission uh, to do what you want to do in life and, and equally focus on people and relationships. So we're in the property business, but Kemi's not passionate about property at all. Um, she's more focused on, you know, what property can bring to her life. So focusing on people and relationships uh, and not, not seeking permission for who we are, if you like. So put yourself out there. We're never perfect. So uh, put yourself out there in a powerful way um, and, and, and move forward in that direction. I'll just give another check to her book. It's called The Power of Real Estate Investing. I'll provide a link in the show notes. Uh, also, you'll find in the show notes at Kemi's contact details, which she read out for you as well. But I'll just type them up so that you can look them up. And if you'd like to connect with Kemi, I'm sure she'd be delighted to hear from you. Um, in fact, the giveaway she mentioned was all about joint venture investing because we did talk about that quite a bit. So there you go. Um, I won't uh, dwell on it anymore. Uh, really great guest. She's very humble. She's um, quite an introverted character. So it takes a lot for her to you know, put herself out there in that kind of environment. So I hope that's uh, understood and respected that she graciously came on and you know, had a conversation with me and she shared with all of us, of course. Uh, her journey and her struggles and what she's learned over the years as well. But very impressed as an individual, I can tell you. But there we go. That's it for now. Um, the show notes, as always, are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. If you want to contact me about anything from today's show or more generally in property investing, it's podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. I'll answer that per, uh, email personally, certainly at the moment. And um, I'd love to hear from you. But I guess all that remains to be said is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's Ciao Ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.